Happy Nurses Week to all the nurses and future nurses listening. To celebrate, I'm having a 20% off sale on Study Sesh. This is my private podcast that features over 140 episodes to help you study on the go. Formats include pod quizzes, power hour deep dives, drills, and case studies. If you're tired of sitting at your desk or staring at a screen, but still want to review for nursing school, it's time to check out Study Sesh. Go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in that top menu bar. That's straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. See you there. Hey there, everyone. It is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 96, and today I'm going to share with you seven things to do to start your shift off right. Okay, so before we get into that, as always, I like to take a moment to give a listener shout out. And this is going okay, guys, sometimes these reviews on iTunes and and Google Play and whatnot come through with people's like um, email address names. So they're sometimes they're kind of funny. So this one's from Cookie Poo 56. So Cookie, this one is yours. And Cookie writes, currently, I'm in an accredited accelerated nursing program with a total of five semesters and a minimum passing grade of 80. I'm in nursing two at the moment where we've learned all the fundamentals and everything, including med passes and IV education. I've had zero healthcare experience, just like me, when talk, or just like you, which is me, um, when you started. And I found this podcast to be a huge help to get me through nursing one with an A+. I've been using it for about a year now, and I'm so thankful that you use your time to educate us nursing students. Thank you. So Cookie, I want to say thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to write that and let me know how the podcast is helping you. So thank you so, so much. You definitely brightened up my day. So let's just dive right into the seven things that you can do at the start of your shift to really get things off on that organized, good footing. And I'm not going to say that this is always possible. I'm saying it's a goal. And when it's not always possible, of course, you're going to pick the most important things to do first and then do the other things as you can. But in the perfect pretend world that we're living in, let's assume we have enough time to do all seven of these things every morning. And as you get used to doing them, you'll be able to do them um, more and more quickly so that they don't really take up too much time. But I do understand that some units, the way they're run, um, it's it would be uh, maybe a little bit much. And we'll talk about a toned down, a lesser um, list that you could do if time is a really, really, really big factor. Okay, but let's pretend we're in a perfect world and we can do all of these things at the start of each and every shift, okay? All right, so the very first thing, um, you know, you want to get your shift off to a good start. It's very, very critical to do that if you want to have a good day. When your shift starts off sideways, it's very hard to right that ship and get things going back on track. You'll find a lot of times that if you start off 
behind, you kind of are just playing catch up and racing all day. And that's a rough, um, rough way to be. I'm telling you, I've done it many, many times myself. So I'm a huge believer in routines, you guys. And so I wanted to have a start of shift routine that helped me set myself and my patients up for success. So this is my start of shift routine when I'm working in the critical care environment. We'll talk um, a little bit more about environments maybe where you have more than two patients and you might need to pare this down just a little bit. So right after getting report, okay, I'm not going to include getting report because that's happening regardless, I hope. Um, right after I get report, Ideally, the next things that I want to do are check out the H&P. Now, when you go into the chart, there's a lot of information there, you guys. And if you're a new nursing student, first, second semester, and you're just getting used to the vast enormity of the patient's electronic medical record, I don't want you to get too overwhelmed. The H&P is going to have a lot of key and very focused information. So if you don't know where to start to get your overview of the patient, start there. Sometimes it won't be in yet if the patient has just been admitted. If that's the case, try to read a note from the ER physician or the physician that admitted him or her. The admitting physician will hopefully at least write a quick note about why they're admitting the patient and what the general plan is, even if it doesn't talk about the whole H&P, okay? So if you have an H&P, read that. If you don't, read the most recent physician note, either the admit note or an ED note. Um, taking a look at that H&P, it's short. It's going to have a lot of great information. It's going to tell you what brought the patient into the hospital, what that physician's initial um, assessment diagnosis is or diagnoses that they're considering, what their uh, findings were, any tests that resulted, the history of their current illness, any other pertinent illnesses or conditions that the patient has. It might even have their current medications that they take and um, any treatments that were already given or are being considered. So it's just going to give you a quick little snapshot of the physician's plan of treatment for this patient and what their main issues are, okay? So take a look at that. That's item number one. You also want to check the patient's recent labs. Um, I like to look really quickly at uh, their labs from that morning. And which labs you clue into are really going to vary patient to patient. But in general, you'll want to check their um white blood cell count to see if infection is an issue, um, if you suspect bleeding is an issue, checking their um, hemoglobin, hematocrit, their platelet count, their coags, checking the BUN and creatinine is going to tell you about their um, hydration status, their kidney function, potassium, sodium, those would be the two main electrolytes, though I do want to know what's going on with their calcium and all of those others, but potassium and sodium would be the first two that I would check. I'd want to know what their blood sugar's been doing. Are they hypo? Are they hyper? And again, um, 
if the patient is more sick and they've got an ABG, I would want to see that. So again, you're going to have to tailor what you look for based on that patient. But those are kind of in general what you're looking for if they are a, um, a patient with liver issues, you know, their liver enzymes, all of those things. So you want to just be watchful for the specific labs and then kind of some general labs. Now, it's not enough that you just want to look at that most recent set. I want you to notice what the trend is. So as you get more experienced, you'll start to understand that trends are way more valuable information than just isolated snapshots in time. So if you have a couple days or a few days worth of data, or maybe the patient's been getting uh, labs every four to six hours, you want to look at the trend and get an idea of things that you should be concerned about. So for example, if their white blood count is 14, that's high, right? Are you going to run to the doc and say, Bob Jones has an elevated white count, sound the alarm? Maybe, but probably what you're really going to do is look back and see, oh, yesterday it was 19. The day before that, it was 21. Now that 14 doesn't seem so bad. It's coming down. We're giving Bob treatment. The treatment seems to be working. So that's why trends are way more important than isolated incidences. Okay, so... We've checked our recent labs. Now I want to, item number three, take a peek at the meds that they're getting. Now, here's a common mistake that a lot of nurses make, and I'm guilty of this as well, especially when I was brand new and maybe I just had kind of those... Um, I'm not going to say I had blinders on, but I was just very focused on what I needed to do to get through this day with this patient is I was just looking um, at the meds I have to give that day. Well, you need to look at all the meds, okay? So when I come on shift at 645, the patient, um, I might not see that the patient has levothyroxine, but the patient has hypothyroidism. I would know that. A, if I got a good report, B, if I read the H&P, but even if those things weren't mentioned because maybe they're just so not related to why the patient is there, I would know that because I saw that they did get their levothyroxine at 6 a.m. before I even got there. Um, some meds are not given every day, so some... Um, Sometimes a patient will get vancomycin every 18 hours, every 24 hours, every 24 hours, every 48 hours. So they don't necessarily get everything at the same time every single day. So look at the meds that they're on and then make a quick list of actual meds that you are going to be giving because you want to be aware of what those are and when you're going to give them. And the next thing that I really like to do very early is get in there and put eyes on the patient. Now, in perfect world, I want to do my full head-to-toe assessment right away. Sometimes that's not possible, and in those cases, we'll do a focused assessment. So when we say focused assessment, we're talking about focusing on the issue that brought the patient there or the things that you think they are at high risk for developing because of their condition. So for example, let's say your patient is there for pneumonia. Your focused assessment is most likely going to be centered around their respiratory status. Then if your patient has very bad ascites because they're there for liver failure, 
You would also probably include respiratory assessment as part of your focused assessment because they're at risk for developing respiratory compromise as the ascites gets very pronounced and the abdomen gets very large and full of fluid. It makes it difficult for the patient to have adequate um, respiratory function, lung expansion, things like that. And they can... um, definitely decompensate. So focused assessment pertains to why they're there or the things they're at risk for developing while they're there, those key things, or do a full head to toe if you can. Um, A lot of times, let's say you're taking care of five patients, your first meet with that patient is probably going to be focused assessment and getting a set of vital signs. Later, after you've gotten your feet under you and you've gotten a flow going in your day, you can do a full head to toe on your patient. In the intensive care unit, the goal for me is to always do a full head to toe very early on because when patients are critically ill, they really are at risk for developing multi-system problems, multiple problems. So you really want to know where they're at with essentially every body system. So we'll go through the full head to toe, you guys. I just did not too long ago a podcast episode on the head to toe assessment, if that's something that you're still learning. And I created a little printable cheat sheet with all the main components of a head to toe. So you can use that to practice and guide you so that you can even take it to clinical so you don't forget anything. It's an Excel file. So if there are things that you like to do in a different order or extra little things or little notes, you can add those in and make it your own. So go and check that out. It's it's great. I was really happy um, to be able to give that to you guys. And so now we've read our HMP, we kind of know what's going on with our patient, we've looked at the meds we're giving, that gives us even more information about what's going on with our patient, and now we've actually laid eyeballs on the patient and done at least a focused assessment, ideally in a perfect world, a full head-to-toe assessment. Now, a part of that first assessment with the patient, I always do a very quick room safety check, and you guys, I cannot stress how vital this is because your safety equipment is sometimes the only thing between your patient and a very bad outcome. So I just make sure of a few things. I make sure that I know where the CPR lever is on that particular bed. Not all hospital beds are the same. There's all these specialty beds. Sometimes the hospital will just have new beds mixed with old beds, and they're all a little bit different. So know where the CPR lever is. That's because if you need to hop on the patient and start doing CPR, you want it in the flat position with the mattress as firm as possible. Some beds will have... um, like, um, I don't even know what they're called, but like air bellows in them so that the mattress can be firmer or softer. And on those beds, it'll firm up the mattress as much as possible so that when you, until you get that backboard under the patient, you're working on as um, firm a surface as you can be. And it takes the bed quickly from an upright, you know, like a semi-fowlers or a a sitting up position to that flat position for CPR. So you don't have to waste time lowering the head of the bed. So I like to know where that lever is on the bed. 
Speaking of codes, I want to know where the code blue button is. Ideally, it's in the same position in every room, but it may not be the case. So always check. Is it at the head of the bed? Where is it? Know where the code blue button is. Know that your oxygen is functional. So check um, the oxygen. Turn the little lever. Make sure that there's the little, it's called a, it's called a, nipple nut connector, which is just the funniest name ever. We call it a Christmas tree because it's shaped like a Christmas tree and they're often green. Sometimes they're clear, sometimes they're white, sometimes they're green, but there are these little nozzles that attach to your oxygen component on the wall. And then that's what your oxygen tubing hooks to. So if you don't have a Christmas tree, you can't hook up any oxygen tubing for your patient. So make sure you have Christmas trees on your oxygen. Make sure that if you do have an oxygen mask, it's easily accessible. You would be shocked how many times I've gone to reach for a mask and it's tangled up, wrapped all around other tubing, and I can't get it quickly for my patient. So after that happened a couple of times, I learned, let's just set this up from the get-go and have it ready to go. The other thing you want to make sure is working and available is suction. Make sure it works. Make sure you have the tubing and the yank hour there. A lot of rooms will keep the yank hour in its plastic sleeve, so that we don't waste equipment that we don't use, but it's there and it's pretty much ready to go. When your patient needs suctioning, they needed it 10, 20 seconds ago. They need it now. So you want to make sure that suction is always working. So what did we talk about? We talked about the CPR lever on the bed, the code blue button, your oxygen and your suction. Those would be the key main safety items for any patient. An Ambu bag might be in your room. If you're in an ICU, it's definitely in every room. It should be. I don't think I'd want to work in an ICU that didn't have it. Make sure that you can get to the Ambu bag. Sometimes it'll get placed in this plastic bag with a draw, like a drawstring closure, and it'll be completely closed and Imagine that your patient's having a serious respiratory issue where they need to be manually bagged and you've got to pull it out of this bag that's closed up tight and just get everything set up so it's easy to grab and use. Um, do yourself a favor. And then the other thing that um, in a maybe like a tele-unit or a med surge unit, there may not be an AMBU bag in every room. Um, I've worked at a hospital where they're in the hallway about every second room. So they're really close. Just make sure you know where they are. And then if the patient has anything specific, you want to make sure you have the safety equipment for that. Um, if they've got a trach, there's certain safety equipment for that. And you can check out where I wrote all about tracheostomy emergencies on the website. And then if they've got a chest tube, I also have a whole epa blog post about chest tubes, there's certain safety equipment that goes with that. So just make sure you have what you need and everybody is safe. So I like to do that room assessment before I leave um, after doing my first head to toe or focused assessment with the patient. And then the sixth thing that I like to do is kind of make a schedule for the day. I've got a little what I call a run sheet and I can link to that for you guys. And what I put on the run sheet is I've got their meds on there. 
And then I kind of figure out maybe if we have other things that we need to do that day, like maybe I need to do a dressing change for this patient or I need to get them up to the chair or maybe they're... um, Some patients are, you know, it's a group project to get them up to the chair because they're on a ventilator and all of this stuff. So you really do have to coordinate when you're going to do that. Um, If they've got to go for a test and I have any control over when they go, I'll kind of put that down. So I just kind of come up with what I think the plan for the day is. And if the patient is able to participate, I also include them in that process and ask what their goals are. And we go over the day together. So setting goals with the patient, kind of laying out how the day is going to flow is another really key thing to do. And then the seventh thing that I do from my start of shift routine is I like to go to the supply room. Usually it's the med room that has the stuff that I need. And I just get a few things that I know I'm going to use throughout the day. So I get some alcohol swaps and I put those in my pocket. Um, Maybe some end caps. For when I need to disconnect an IV and I don't have anything sterile to put on the end of that cap, that's a big pain. So I like to put a couple of those in my pocket and make sure I've got my pens. I make sure I've got my stethoscope. You know, I just kind of get my pockets ready with all of my stuff so that I have it. So those are basically the seven things that I do at the start of my shift. And when I start my day without doing those things, I get sunk. So I was precepting a new ICU nurse. He had experience on the floor and he became an ICU nurse and I was precepting him and he was just a wonderful person. And um, one day we had talked about, you know, a routine like this. And then the next day, you know, he says, Mo, I'm going to try getting in there first thing, do my whole head to toe assessment. I'm going to see how that goes. And I, I knew what was going to happen. But I like to let people learn. And I said, okay, you do that. More power to you. Go for it. So he went in the room, did his full head to toe, talking to the patient, family, whoever, I don't even remember, and got sucked in. Um, Because patients, you know, especially when they're really sick, they always will need something. And he was very conscientious and you know, saw that the patient wanted, needed, whatever, all these things. And then all of a sudden he's off to the races and hasn't had a chance to look at the chart, hasn't had a chance to review labs, hasn't had a chance to come up with um, a plan for the day and when the meds are due and when he's going to get all this stuff done. So around 10 a.m. or so, he says something to me like, man, that was a rough start this morning. (laughs) And I had to say, yeah, um, I thought it would be, but I wanted you to learn on your own. So Of course, if your patient is super sick, you're going to get right in there. You're going to do what the patient needs. This wasn't a case like that. It was just more like getting caught up in the, you know, all the things that patients ask for, whatever, request. um, And then one thing leads to another, leads to another. And before you know it, you're, uh, you're racing just to catch your own tail. So if you can get in there first thing in the morning, get report, take a quick look at the chart, you know, the H&P or the most recent doctor's note, look at those recent labs, take a look at your meds, get a feel for when you'll be giving them get in the room, do your head to toe or your focused assessment, your room safety check. And then um, 
setting goals with your patient, kind of figuring out your schedule, and then getting a few key supplies just to help uh, limit the back and forth, back and forth to the uh, supply room is very helpful and can really uh, start you off hopefully on a good day. So some things that I use to keep my shift organized, I have brain sheets, report sheets, they're available on my website. I will link to those. I got to write down what I'm promising you guys. So report sheet... And then I also use what's called a run sheet. And that's different from my brain sheet. So the brain sheet is the body systems um, and the information that I will use to relay report at the end of the day. So if their patient has a change in their, you know, neuro status, I put it into the neuro section of my report sheet. And then I remember to relay that information to the new nurse that's coming on the next shift. The run sheet is hour by hour, kind of like my daily schedule, and I will link to that as well. And I put in each hour what meds I'm giving, if I'm checking blood sugars, if I'm replacing electrolytes, if I'm going for a test, if I'm mobilizing a patient, doing dressing changes, dare I say that, whatever it is, I try to get that all on there so that I don't forget to do something. So those two things are key for me to keep myself organized throughout my shift. So you guys might find that you develop your own routine that helps you and that's perfect. You don't have to do this routine at all. Like I said, if you're working maybe in an environment where you have five patients, you might not have a ton of time in the morning to do all of these things for all five, if at all possible. What I would do is take a look at the labs, take a look at the meds and do a quick focused assessment. If you can get those three things done early, you'll be in pretty good shape. And then when you have your feet under you, you can go back and look at the H&P, go back and read some more of the notes and do those more in-depth things. But I understand that when you've got five patients and they all have meds due, you've got to get in there and you've got to really hit the ground running right away. And what information do you absolutely really need to know to safely and effectively give care to your patients? So those are the things that I would focus on like when I would float to telemetry or the neuro floor when I was taking care of a lot more patients than I'm normally used to. Um, So I hope that's helpful for you guys. You know, try that routine. If it doesn't work, think about why it didn't work, how it affected your flow, because every unit is different in the way you do things. And maybe there's a different flow that works for you and, and try it a few times and see how it works. And then as you get a routine that works for you, you'll really start to rely on it as a way to start your shift off on the right foot and set you and your patient up for success. Okay, so I don't have any huge announcements right now, um, just that the planners for July are available, and I will link to those. And I hope everyone's doing well and probably getting close to finishing up school. Or we still kind of, I believe most schools probably finish in May, so it's like second-ish week of April right now, I believe. So Not quite there yet, but the light is at the end of the tunnel, you guys. You can do it. So I hope you're doing well. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast and you want to make sure that you never miss an episode, all you have to do is subscribe. And then if you take it a step further and rate and review if the podcast is helping you, I love hearing that it helps you guys. And then maybe you'll get a listener shout out and I'll get to say hi to you on the podcast. That would make me happy. All right, guys, have a great week and I'll see you back here next week.
next week, same time, same place. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.